0: hi i'm scott and i'm seth and we are track walking
1: we're going to talk about a thing tonight because i came up with an idea And I'm sort of ambushing Scott with it, which is my favorite way to come up with ideas. Um, Scott actually inspired me um, with the show that came out today. um, When he was talking about mid Ohio and rain line. And the fact that, uh, that there's, there's a good line and the good line changes. And, um, and that's a thing in racing in life. All of that. Wow! Um,
0: you really just skipped all the steps, just like. Yeah.
1: Did I? Did I just like? I just jumped into the middle of the conversation here.
0: <laughs> no. no, you're <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to talk about racing, but this also applies to life.
1: Well, yeah, because nobody who listens to the show has any idea that we're going there with with topics, right? No, we're just going to ambush them. They're going to be like, no, I thought you were just talking about apexes, and then all of a sudden all of my decisions about saving for my 401k
0: became clear. I never I never trust that people really listen to what they have to say. <laughs> hey, maybe so, that's a me thing. Maybe that's a people thing.
1: Yeah, that's uh, probably not trusting Wait, what, us
0: is good. What are you drinking, first of all? Coffee. I'm
1: always drinking coffee. It's like
0: it's after dinner your time. Yes, do you sleep ever?
1: That's not how caffeine works for me. That's it's not do you know? Okay, so do you know how okay, ADD people you give them like ADD medicine and it just calms them down, right? And they're like, cool, I can focus now, life is good. What happens to a normal human if you give them ADD medicine? Makes them go nuts, they become a stock trader and stay up for 20 hours at a time, right? Okay, so coffee is my add medicine just work with me okay
0: <laughs> my my medicine is a uh, new pumpkin ale i picked up is it
1: that time of year again it can't be that time of year already is it?
0: dude menards has halloween decorations up since a week and a half
1: ago i thought you were going to tell me you were buying beer at menards i thought that's where we were going with this
0: i mean you can can you really i'm sure maybe I don't know. Okay,
1: somebody needs to let us know if you can actually buy beer at Menards.
0: It's called Jaw Jacker Pumpkin Ale. Okay, I'm a fan. <laughs>
1: so, cool. Should we ta- should we talk about the show today, or are we re- just going to be weirder than usual?
0: This is banter. I'm banter.
1: Okay. This is what happens. I'm also distracting when we're you
0: from your plan <laughs> as you try to distract me from whatever. When we.
1: Ha- 10, when we have like thoughts. a one-hour limit on the show because we have other stuff to do, oh, no. so we don't do banter before the show. We do it while we're recording, and this mess happens. So, we're going to talk about the, the the perfect line, Scott. What do you know about the perfect line?
0: doesn't exist, Seth.
1: Yeah, except if you do it wrong, people will tell you.
0: I think there are better lines. Perfect line? I don't think it exists. There's, so when i began this whole track thing there was a notion amongst quite a few instructors and i still hear instructors talk about this from time to time and i have since tried to squish that bug of an idea is that there are there's a education line and then there's the fast line and we can talk about the driver right now. Um, I'm thinking specifically of uh, at Gingerman because that's, you know, home track. Um, a lot of people teach one to two differently, but primarily five and six, turn five and six. It's a two-turn complex of sorts. Um, if you look at it on a track map, it is two very distinct radiuses. Turn 5 is much wider by comparison. It's much more open. Turn 6 is a pretty sharp corner that ends going uphill. Turn five's entry is downhill. And so the thought when I was coming up was that in order to make it easiest to learn is that you connect these two. So you basically go in wide. You just stay wide through 5 and come through six so you virtually don't have to turn the wheel it just kind of turns that all into one long feet is, feet is one big turn exactly and all you have to do maybe a little bit of throttle brake manipulation that's about it Seth for some odd four years later I'm still trying to break that habit because I was taught that learning education line and I'm still trying to break that all the feelings and markers and thoughts in order to get five and six done the fast way which is more of a diamond where you turn into five pretty early kind of get your braking done kind of while turning get back on the gas after five off the gas to get it rotated back on throttle to pull out a six that's the fast way, but I am still trying to break the long habit of having been taught the
1: safe way. Do you want me to tell you why you're wrong?
0: Yes, but then can I tell you why you're wrong? <laughs>
1: <laughs> go ahead. So John, go. The, the the whole problem with your outlook at this point is that you drive a Gingerman. And what, what are the, what are the consequences at Gingerman? Low. Nothing. Yeah. What are you going to do? Hidden outhouse? No,
0: nobody's done that ever. Um, Right. Yeah. Really only outside of 11 is about the only place you can really hit something. You got to get pretty creative.
1: Right. So, so I think you're wrong because I think in a large number of places, a lot of tracks, it is very important to understand why there are two different lines, why there are different ways of doing it. Because I don't think you can send beginners in Z06 Corvettes to do the fast lines at places like NCM without putting big tire marks in cement walls and doing things like that.
0: No, but even if you put them on the safe line, they can still get themselves in trouble, can't they?
1: Sure. You can get yourself in trouble driving into a parking lot of a CVS.
0: I've seen it happen. <laughs> it's it bad, especially when there's snow on the ground. People get locked in focus. So, I get it.
1: And we're just talking, yeah, but we're just talking dry here. Yep. But but wet is, not, not necessarily is, but can be a different thing. Because not every track is the same when it gets wet.
0: Yeah. And and you'll also hear people talk a lot about the front wheel drive line or rear wheel drive line. Right. Almost at any given track. And I can tell you, not from personal experience, but by watching some of the fastest club racers and time attack racers in the country. Uh, there is virtually little to no difference in the fast line. The biggest difference is how they're manipulating car setup, um, pedal control, steering wheel control, where they get the rotation done, and how, um, and you know per car like if we're talking like big time attack cars like if they've got lots of aero they can do things a little bit differently they've got big power um you know you can certainly try to do a little bit later of an apex everywhere to really stretch those legs stuff like that but really if we're talking a very very similar car just front to rear wheel drive the line really isn't going to look any different in the dry. In the dry. <laughs> now, a lot of tracks, and it's going to depend on the surface, the age of the surface, run, runoff, blah blah blah, track conditions. I mean, we can talk about heat probably for an entire episode, um, and grip levels and what you have to do to make your car as grippy as possible in the heat versus the cold. But in newer tracks, uh, say Eagles Canyon, when we were there this year, it's a very, it's a pretty new track. Um, or they, you know, the repave
1: is very, very fresh. It was less than a year old when you were there. It was like six months old. So yeah, yeah, you don't get to drive on too many tracks newer than that. No. And so, If it
0: rains, the rain line's not going to be a whole lot different because the track still has a bunch of mountains and a bunch of valleys. That allows the water to kind of sit in those valleys and run off without affecting the grip level of the tires too much. It'll certainly have a cooling effect, which will do something. Mid-Ohio is pretty unique in its... The age of its surface. It is very, it's a pretty old surface by now. It's very polished. It sees all sorts of levels of club racers, track days, IndyCar, uh, NASCAR, at least used to go there, SCCA runoffs. I mean, they have everything. And this surface, basically, all those peaks, all those really tall. Uh, pieces, as you run over them so many times, they go away and you get a very polished, smooth surface, which can be good for dry grip. But this is very bad. I wouldn't say bad, it just produces a extraordinarily slick track
1: when it starts to rain. Have you had a chance to drive any tracks over the last like four years, five years that you've been driving where you can noticeably feel the grip change through time. Like, like last year, this corner was fine. This year it's like this. Gingerman. Gingerman, you've driven it enough. You can feel that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And especially when they did the repave on a few sections, that was super noticeable. Um, but even the year after they repaved, they got, weird again for a little while kind of went back to more normal but as the newer sections get run down you know you've got less of a less of a help in the wet when you start to hit them
1: yeah i was gonna say at our at the cart track we do all our stuff at over the last uh you know two and a half years we've noticed like i can tell you which individual corners are getting polished uh, by the carts and how that affects grip when it's cold and how that affects grip when it's a little bit damp and how it used to be. And so that's where the, where even when the track is dry, if it's rained in the last three days, I can tell you where the dust will be if it's a weekday. So the carts haven't been there, then the dust it'll be dusty in this corner because the the puddle was there. It's not there anymore. It's still slippery because it, it pulled dust in. Um, oh. And that's, that's kind of fun to, to have a track that's your home track that you drive enough that you know, those, those little details. It's like knowing a particular slippery spot on your kitchen floor or something like that.
0: Yeah. The path well worn. Yeah. It was interesting this year. They had just repaved from about the middle to the exit point, but only on the inside of the keyhole turn to at mid Ohio and there had been some like kind of nice little ruts and divots uh so you really knew where to place your left side tires and stuff like that and that went away but it was interesting in the wet race that we had on Saturday the last race of last official race of the weekend um i was kind of testing things out on the two warm up laps that we got and the amount of grip on that new surface was immensely better than even the rim shot around the outside of the keyhole, which is something I, I think we'll talk about here in a moment. Um, and so I was racing around and with people who are mid-Ohio veterans, good in the wet. Um, you know, you kind of do a rim shot around keyhole. You just tighten up the entrance and exit. It's how you typically do it. And I found out, and I think the second, I think the second uh, formation lap. That inside was super grippy and is kind of where you want to be anyway for acceleration. And so I just really threw away the entrance as much as I could to get down there, to get myself a run. And man, I I was able to make some moves down there until people I think started seeing what I was doing and uh, (laughs) started uh, jumping on board with that
1: but there's an adaptability to line thing. Even when you know things yeah. you are, you see. I don't want to see if you're good at it, but if you have some level of experience, you're always still learning the track. As a matter of fact, the more experience yeah. you have to some extent, you're, you're learning the track more. Yeah. You, I, I think I would
0: hope so, but I don't think that's the case necessarily. Um, I know at Gingerman for a while I definitely hit a plateau where I was just kind of doing the same thing largely but just trying to refine it. And I kind of hit a plateau for a good year, I think, there. Like I could maybe go marginally faster but not a whole lot because largely I'd stopped taking notes. I'd stopped trying things. And,
1: you know, that doesn't work very well. Um, You do you encourage students like, can you go, okay, try this thing and see how it feels. Even if you know, have you ever told anybody to do something wrong? Yes. Um, Just so so they know like, cool. That's what it feels like when you do it wrong.
0: Yes. I actually have two specific drills that I go over with all of my students in any two day weekend or more where we go out and I tell them, all right, every single corner, I want you to do this for three laps. And I want you to change it and do this. And then there's another exercise we do after that. But I can tell them, like, I want you to do this corner this way because of these reasons. And, like, they'll go out and do it. But those are very track-specific lessons that are being taught. Those aren't lessons that you can really change. Like, if they go out to a new track on their own, lost puppies. They just won't know what to do or why. They're not learning like the real fundamentals of what does uh, releasing the break quicker here do like what does actually do for me? I know that Scott told me to do it here because it does something with the back end or front end or, you know, whatever. But like, because Scott said, isn't good enough. Like I'm, I'm trying to train and coach people, so that ultimately they won't need as much coaching in the future. I don't think that's really true, but they won't need like as specific and fundamental stuff because there's a lot of stuff that they can pick up on their own. And so I'll have them go out for an entire for two sessions and I'll tell the other instructors who are watching, "Hey, these two students are doing this, so" It's going to look weird. <laughs> they're doing it wrong, yep. but that's just, they're it's supposed to. <laughs> and specifically one of these drills has been, I has almost batted a hundred in terms of students coming back with their eyes open and just being like, Oh my God, it makes so much sense. You know, when I do this, this happens. And when I do that, that happens. And so I understand in these kinds of corners, why you would want to do this more. And like, and then all of a sudden the learning goes from just a huge gap of a of a space to being much more narrowly focused and oh so if i do this kind of exit but this other kind of turn is coming up i've got a bridge i've got to decide do i want to sacrifice a little bit more of the entry here for a better exit there or can i kind of have a little bit of both and what's going to be faster but until like telling somebody to do something isn't really the way to learn, especially at the beginning. Like until, at least my experience, until people have done it and have actually experienced it in their butt and know what the car, the car does this when I do this. The car likes it better here. When I turn the steering wheel like this, then all of a sudden, if you get, especially like in a one lap scenario where you've got half, three quarters of a lap to kind of maybe figure out the best thing to do, like that's all you've got and you've got to figure it out as quick as you can. Or even if you go to a track day that doesn't have instructors, go for it.
1: I feel like you've been spoiled by pretty good students. Just like if you can send them out and ask them what they feel, they're already pretty good at cars. Oh, well,
0: not all of them can tell me exactly <laughs> what the car is doing. Um, the nice thing is I have a lot of repeat offenders. Okay. Um, so I get to work with some students, you know, for uh, two, I think the most I've had was five weekends. I had one student, Um, but yeah, the, the repeats are better because I know them, they knew me, I know where we left off. And if we're at a different track, I know kind of what we'll probably need to work on. It just speeds things up so much.
1: When I taught autocross, we always said that, that every course is a collection of corners and there's only so many ways to make a corner. Um, autocross, you know, the, the, the special and maddening thing about autocross is it's different every time no you should never sure. never be driving the same course twice if you are in a region that has pretty good people setting things up so when we were talking to beginners we always said you know you're you're learning to drive a bunch of connected corners and there's only so many corners like a right angle corner is a right angle corner um a slalom is a slalom um so every time you go and do this you learn corners and you'll you'll eventually learn how to slalom And then you're just learning the entry and exit may be different depending on what goes into it. And same thing, like a right angle corner is a right angle corner. The only thing that's different is what leads into and out of it. Um, But we're less because we only do, you know, if you're in a region that's got like a bunch of runs, you'll do like five runs on a course. I think you're less sensitive to uh, surface variations than you are on a road course because you don't, because it's always different, right? So you're you're I don't want to say it's it's as much as Rally Cross, because Rally Cross changes all the time, right? It changes run to run. So there's no real reason to be like, oh, I know this corner is slippery because 15 minutes ago it might have been and now it's not. True. Um but I think so. Autocrossers tend to be good one lappers. Good autocrossers tend to be good one lappers. Yep. Um
0: So there's got to be something going on there. Well, and I wanted to go back to what you said about adaptability. Um, And for me, adaptability goes back to the mindset of kind of a a fixed versus growth mindset. Okay. Where if you have a fixed mindset, this is what I do. This is how I set up my car. This is how my car likes to be set up. Uh, And this is how my style, this is how I drive my car. Um, That's a very fixed set of parameters. You know, I've got this car. It likes to be set up like this. I set my tire pressures at that. I go out and I drive it like this. And that is what I do. And I know people like that. And not all of them are slow. Uh, There are some very fast people who are like that. However, when it comes to challenging conditions, it uh, comes to either extreme heat, uh, the morning after a rain, if it is currently raining, those people tend to have a very difficult time adapting. And they typically don't go to a lot of new tracks either. Um, and the other, the other side of it is the growth mindset is... Well, I have this car, which is my tool. Generally, this is my go-to, but I'm all you know. Might need to change that depending on track conditions, heat, tires, track, um, purpose. Are you going out for qualifying? Are you going out for an actual race? What are you doing? Um, and even if it's a place where you've got a million laps in. Have you tried it differently? Have you tried turn one differently? Why not? You know, do you do it the way that you've always done it because it's the fastest way or just how it's always felt the best? But have you tried something new? And why not? Have you tried trail breaking a little bit more here? Have you tried taking an earlier apex and uh, hustling more in the transition. These these are things that I think ulti- ultimately make a driver who is in the sport for longer because they don't get bored as easily. Um, yeah, I can see that. I, I also think that these kinds of people generally have more to offer as instructors or crew or engineers not only because they're open to trying new things but they also have such a diverse uh, portfolio of experiences it's like yeah i've tried this corner eight different ways there are some pluses and minuses to all of them let's see which one might be better for you and see if maybe none of those work and we try something else uh, and those people generally do much better in the wet conditions, especially at a track like mid Ohio, uh, even Autobahn South in the wet is a pretty solid rain line. Um, these are things like you said in rally cross that even in the wet, it'll change from lap to lap sometimes in yeah. the, in the wet race at mid Ohio, it got significantly worse as we went down and you're, Breaking points changed, how, where, and when you did your steering inputs changed, and you constantly had to try something new every corner, every lap. If you were going to try to go as fast as you can, especially me on street tires at Mid Ohio, um, which just don't don't have what the wet grip of a H two O. You've got to go search. Um, so yeah, I think the growth versus fixed mindset is a big part of being good in the wet, uh, because it has that adaptability and that learning aspect to a growth mindset.
1: So I kind of thought I was going to ambush you with stuff. And it turns out that I pulled up a topic that you apparently have are in the middle of writing a book on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. no. no. (laughs) So we could we could shift this slightly. We could do the the how you do anything is how you do everything thing. The whole the <sighs> the perfect line, the adaptable line. Life is yeah. a series of curves. All right, you first thing. <laughs> I I mean the 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 easiest analogy has to be um, that the the best line as presented to anybody from elementary school through adulthood is do well in school go to college pick a useful degree get a good job be a successful adult that's the line have right? a
0: family have, in a school be involved in extracurriculars you've got to take the ap course if you're going to do anything with your life i mean there there's all these subsets you got to get your License early, you got to have a car as soon as you turn 16. Uh, you definitely need to, you know, have your first kiss and your first uh sexual experience young, otherwise, you'll get harangued by your friends. I mean, there's there's all these like little tiny things, and we could really break them down and get weird on this show. That's Um, the line,
1: that's the that's that's the that's where we stand up with a whiteboard with a track map and we start to draw the line out for people, like this is your your best lap at living life. And it all comes from instructors that are clearly super successful at having done that lap, right?
0: Yeah, it comes with an air of authority. Uh, the pa- again, the path well-worn, that this is the way, and maybe this would be almost more acceptable in talking about like the learning line. This is the line that will keep you safe. This is the line that we, through testing and years of experience, blah, 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 that we, that has demonstrated to produce the best drivers in the long run.
1: Yeah, the highest probability of success at navigating this track.
0: Right. Um, and as a, as a slight aside, this is, thing, these are things I also see a lot in Christian education. Uh, youth group programs, children's lessons of the sort, is there's a series of doctrines that kids get taught. And I don't think doctrines is a nasty or bad word. Um, but I'm always very cautious to teach anybody, whether it's in uh, Christian development, uh, race cars, anything, something that they have to unlearn later Um, I'm fine with giving like stepping stones Um, one of my best professors I've ever had um, told us that half of teaching is being a good liar that's (laughs) that you trust that I'm only going to give you as much as you can handle at any given time and I'm gonna and I'm gonna lie to you that this is easy, that this is fine. But then tomorrow when we come back and look at the same thing, I'm going to complicate it. But it's easy. It's fine. You know, We're just going to add these few rules. But then the one after that, I'm going to add a few more. We're going to complicate it even more. And I think I'm totally good with that, to be honest. Um,
1: yeah, as long exactly. as they don't
0: have to unlearn
1: something. That sounds exactly like literally teaching driving though, how you're describing yeah. that yeah. going from, from straight beginner to like, you know, this is the line. This is what an early apex is. This is what a late apex is. You should, you know, late apex because X or Y or Z. And then you're like, all right, so everything I told you, except, you know, in this corner, definitely you want an early apex because of exactly. this. And also let's add breaking into it. Yep. And Remember and, when
0: I told you not to do, Fast steering inputs. Okay, we're going to add one here and let me tell you why. Um, yeah, it's it's totally lying to your student um, in order to only give them as much as they can handle. But I would never want to give somebody something that, all right, so what I told you here, it's wrong. You have to do it a completely other way because X, Y, and Z. That's that's something I always strive to stay away from.
1: So are we doing that? When are we doing that with people in life? Like to some degree we I don't want to say we lie to kids, but we we definitely do the we
0: don't cross your eyes, they'll stick
1: that way. Well, there's that. But like we (laughs) we put choices and and we we phrase things differently, like Uh, this is the best choice for this reason. And I'm not sure we should always do it quite like that.
0: I think sometimes that comes from a desire to always want to look competent. When a five-year-old comes up and asks you, where do babies come from? (laughs) That's a different Um... answer. Um... Is that when you pull out the stork? I mean, or do we start talking about penises and vaginas? Yeah, it's a um, little different than a
1: fifteen-year-old. Like you would hope that a fifteen-year-old and a five-year-old have different background knowledge. You would hope. Um, <laughs> but again,
0: like, and and it's a great story. Um, it's fun, but you're all—it's almost the Santa Claus thing to me. You know, if you're if you're naughty. Santa Claus isn't gonna bring you anything, right. But at some point you lose credibility, some amount of credibility with your kids when you tell them, okay, actually not when you tell them most likely when they find out from their friends right that Santa
1: Claus isn't a real thing. It's been your parents the entire time. Yeah, but also the flip side of that is that's I use that as a super teachable moment I have with all of my kids, right? With the whole, like, like, why would you tell us this untruth? And and my point with all my kids and what I've told them is because throughout your life, you will be faced, like, you will always have somebody telling you something that's not quite true for very legitimate reasons. Like, this, like, getting this work done today is super important and you should do this. That may or may not be true but it's something you need to believe because you're in a position where, where that belief makes you useful to them. Mm. Um, and the, the, the example that as, as my, my older son is trying to join the air force, I'm like, <laughs> trust me, there's going to be a lot of like, you should definitely think this is important and you should not ask me why this is important. You should definitely just do it. Yeah. It's very similar to, Uh, all of those myths we tell our kids. And I think if you raise kids in an environment where they never have to take anything on faith, that it makes it very difficult for them to take those adult things on faith that we have to. Like we can't get full reasoning out of everybody for stuff. We just have to go, okay, it's important to you for me to believe this way. So I'm going to right now.
0: Yeah, and there's certainly a, an aspect of teaching values and what's important to you and what you would hope is important to your family in that as well. Right. Um, yeah, I've I've always thought, and I've never been the best at either, that questions are far more important than answers. And if you can come up with a well-formed, well-thought-out question that's really good, um, I think that teaches you more and teaches other people more than because.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, the answer, well, just do it because. Right. Well, why do you do an early apex corner? so what? I mean, you do an early apex corner, so you can carry more speed in down through the beginning part of the corner. Okay. So when is that useful? When might that be useful? And starting to help students like think through these things rather than, okay, do this. And then into that, it'll make you faster. But and there's,
1: and there's, having them, but having them believe you blindly initially keeps them safe.
0: Yes, as long as we have that conversation <laughs> immediately after, I never want to like, <laughs> leave it at that. You know, I my my job. I, I used to think about this as being a pastor as well, um, but certainly as being a driving coach. Like my job is to put myself out of a job. Like, to be so good at
1: teaching, they don't need you anymore.
0: Yes. Now, I don't think that's realistic or achievable, but I think that's that's always been my striving goal: is to get people to such a place where they can. I don't want to say like go off on their own and do their own thing, but that they can start asking better questions and then that dramatically changes the relationship. Then to me, you stop being an instructor at a certain point and you start being a coach, a peer. And that I think is when things get really exciting and interesting. So the coaching
1: aspect of that is interesting because you and I both have uh a lot of the people we interact with that are at a, a different part of their lives. than we are um, a bunch of primarily dudes in their early twenties. Although I'm given quite a few of the, the
0: women who come through grid life. Um, you
1: That's true. You are. Cause you're not a creep. That's spe- fantastic.
0: Yeah. Specifically <laughs> I've been told is a, I'm not a creep. And two, because of Becky, like those are yeah.
1: really the, the two reasons. So, um, we have a lot of, of, of young people. You and I interact with a lot of younger people and become friends with them and inevitably uh, end up being s- at least slightly mentory um, because they look at you and they, they look at your life and they think, by God, I want to be Scott. How do I become Scott? Well... Uh... <laughs>
0: But I think that's whether you but, want to or not. But I think that's kind of the part of the. And boy, I think we need to talk about authority in a separate podcast. But there's an air of authority that being a designated instructor carries with it, right? Um, and I would wager there are a few people who know more than others, but no, but nobody in the track community knows who I am and what I've gone through and I'm not hiding it. I'm not making a secret, um, but it's certainly something that um, largely is irrelevant Right. in the, especially in the instructing student role. Right. Now again, as you, I think as you, progress and you get more into the coach peer role, uh, which is a very different relationship Um, that certainly can. And I think ultimately does need to change, but nobody looks at Scott and says, man, I want to be like him, but that's completely untrue. People definitely do that. No, no, (laughs) No. but, but one, because, because they don't know, they, they don't know me. They don't, you know, they, they see what they want to see. Like I, Scott has, can become the blank canvas on which anybody can read what they want to read on. Now it's true to an extent, like I can certainly be a dick sometimes and I can really strive to be kind and helpful and generous, uh, certainly enthusiastic for the sport. Um, but not all the time.
1: Right. But but you have that role whether you want it or not. The which one? The 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 mentory type I wanna be Scott role. You don't get to choose whether somebody looks at you yes. and thinks, you know, Scott's really got his shit together and I wanna be like Scott.
0: Yeah, it's I'm I'm terribly glad that's not a superpower of mine is to have the ability to control what other people think and do. It's right. And I've got a hard enough time dealing with myself on a day to day basis. Uh but yeah, it's I kinda wanna go back to the flexibility between like rain line, dry line. Um for the dry line, um things go and i i guess i could kind of equate this more to when like life is going pretty good. Right. When things aren't when when you when you literally aren't crap's not raining down upon you. You know, you've got a job, it pays you decently well.
1: Um well, you, frankly you, all the instruction you've been given is pretty much correct.
0: Yeah. Yeah, things, you know, you can certainly modify things. You can do some things better, but you also don't have to change much in order just to keep going. You know, if you want to do better, if you want to start excelling in a particular area, yeah, you've got to buckle down. You might have to go back to school or take take another class in order to get certified in something, really kind of refine and really focus in on something. But the rain line for me is when trauma happens that is when tragedy strikes somebody dies you have a car accident um you or someone you know has a drug addiction um you or someone you know gets pregnant unexpectedly these things And all of a sudden, like everything that you've been taught in the dry isn't working so well. You can keep doing it, but you've got to really slow up, pay attention, really work at even just keeping it together. And you radically have to shift how things change, uh, how you do things according to what happens around you. You are not a silo. You are not separated from the people around you, from your community around you. If you're in a big city, from random people you walk by you, you are not separated from them. If you're in a club race, you are not an individual on a track racing against other people. You are one driver in the mix of however else many trying to do a thing together. And you have to change. You have to. Otherwise, you hit something, somebody. You injure them. You injure yourself. We're talking about on track. In life, if not, you go bankrupt. You get kicked out of your house, lose a job, lose some family, get a divorce. Um, things things can happen.
1: I think the thing is on track. Um, you're all in general, there pre- You're all on the dry line, or you're you're all. Re- racing in the dry or you're all racing in the wet and i think when you you said the thing like nobody really knows scott i think the in life the the big place this analogy breaks down is nobody knows if in life scott is currently that's on good. the dry line or if scott is is on the wet line and trying to do that stuff because we don't get to see i don't get to see scott's track condition that's that's only, good any I like more that than a lot. scott wants to tell me right yeah And so I think we, there are, there's a lot of times. Yeah. There's a lot of times we tend to judge people based on, you know, why didn't you take Like, why aren't you on the dry line? Like there's an easy choice in front of you and you should just do this and life will be easier. Not realizing that that person is currently uh, metaphorically driving in a downpour. Yep.
0: And, Um, and the way around that is not to tell them, Hey, Stop doing that.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, because you can't tell somebody just like just like drive better on the dry line at Mid Ohio when it's pouring. Yeah,
0: just don't suck as much.
1: That's bad advice in that moment.
0: I've I've seen this meme going around that you know it's someone has depression or anxiety and they they receive this amazing medication from someone. They said you know well just just be happier.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was like when Brian yeah. DeVries told me that I should like not be as bad at driving. I was like, Oh, oh I don't know if I can do this. Dang. He's like, Well, or you could just not be as bad and then you would be better. And I was like, Well, I mean
0: And the scales from of. my eyes fell off, <laughs> the sun opened up.
1: Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's And then I crashed his car into a wall, by the way.
0: Oh, that happened after that?
1: Yeah, that was oh, that. God. Oh, God. <laughs> it you, was,
0: you did the other thing.
1: I did the other thing. I was like, cool, I'm going to go be better. And then I spun his car into a wall. And then you were so, better. Yeah. So uh, there's that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I've... And part of this is also I, I had a few good experiences and the ability to learn from very good people driving on track in the wet. Uh, and I really found that in the wet that power means much less uh even like physical grip means significantly less it's a lot comes down to driver skill awareness and adaptability you know who can go out and find the grip and who can Adapt themselves to their car in those conditions the best, the quickest, will be the fastest. Maybe that's always true, and maybe that's always true. (laughs) I mean, you know, one and really like to a much finer extent, like no one day is the similar to the next, right? You know, you'll get to work. I mean, we can talk about the butterfly effect, even. I mean yeah. one tiny change can cascade and change can change a lot in a very small amount of time.
1: When we talk about those 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 wet corners and there there's always mistakes in them, right? Like that's the thing As I go into here I'm like I think I can break this late and you break a little too late and now you're offline and you're trying to fix yourself and and maybe that throws off the next corner and yada, yada. And um, I've got a bunch of, uh, I do say a bunch, several of my younger friends that I always, I should relate this more to track stuff. And I always say there, there's three, there's three versions of you. There's past you, present you and future you. And I always say, you gotta be very forgiving of past you. Um, be kind to past you because you made the best decision you could at the time, even if it was wrong. You should have anyway. Right. And, and believe in yourself or less healthy, less good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so, so be forgiving to yourself. Present you is the only one who's really in control, right? But present you really needs to be nice to future you because nobody screws you over more than yourself in general facts. And so it's the, it's really the same thing on track, right? Like if you find yourself in a horrible position on track in general, it's because you put yourself there, but also there's not a whole lot you can do about the fact that you've already blown the breaking zone. Like, like current you has to deal with what past you did and you can't to be angry at, at the fact that you blew the breaking zone doesn't help you. Yep. in the moment like it, it really doesn't so you really have to move past that pretty quickly do the do the best with what you got
0: yeah I had, a, I had a pastor friend who um whose wife died of cancer while he was a pastor he said his theology changed afterwards to essentially shit happens <laughs> um, and, it, it, and it does and it does and and there are people who build things up around them to ignore that fact there are people who will not go out on track if it rains right and you know there are excuses for that certainly and there are circumstances when that's not the best decision i get it um however a lot of times they're just excuses you know do the best with what you have if you're offline if you brake a little late, if you release the brake a little late, what's the next best thing that you can do? What's the next healthiest thing that you can choose to do, given where you are and what you have control over?
1: And, but and the- try to make a decision that doesn't screw up the rest of your lap. <laughs> sure. Right? Sure. Like, don't be like, cool, it's in the rain. I'm going to break it one you can try that once. Right. <laughs> once <laughs> once. Yeah. But part of you should know going into that like this is a terrible decision. And It is really going to screw up the
0: rest of my lap. Low percentage moves is what right. uh, it's been called to me, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and that and the big thing is is not even the effect it has on you right now, but the big thing is while you're doing that it really screws up future you like it's a really, it's a really mean thing to do to mid corner Scott to, uh, to screw up the the breaking zone. Cause then mid corner Scott runs out of options.
0: Yeah. Becky and I talk a lot about past Becky and past Scott really being jerks Um, or like, you know, we'll make a decision now. It's be like, well, it sounds like future Scott's problem. (laughs) and Those are adult decisions that you get to make. You know, just, but you know, it's coming. So,
1: yeah, I I think we do need to spend like, like as people spend time focusing on, we spend a lot of time focusing on what, what past Scott did and the problems past Scott did and not enough time focusing on the things I can be, how I can be nice to future Scott.
0: Well, I think we could even carry the, the metaphor, I'll speak about this briefly into late apex, early apex Okay. is your, your speed, your speed, the corners, the corner, but you have to sacrifice a few things in order to gain other things. Yeah. You have to manage speed and you have to manage direction. I mean, if there's not a simpler way to put race racing in general, it's those two things, manage speed, manage direction. So if you go in super early apex, you're like, man, I'm going to take all the speed right here. I'll do a little bit of the direction change. I'll let that be future Scott's problem. And that's great until you run out of track. You're going really fast and you need to go like left. (laughs) Right. And all of a sudden, like your decision at the beginning impacts future you in a very negative way because you did kind of the easy thing here. And you're like, well, I'll I'll deal with ramifications later. On the other hand, uh, you can also say, okay, I'm going to do a really late apex. I'm going to do a lot of my speed correction, a lot of my direction change here in order for it to be easier later. But again, it depends on conditions, depends on the track, depends on the shape of the corner, what's coming in after it what you just I mean it depends on so many things.
1: And that horrible moment where you realize you turned in so early so that you've early. Had no speed coming out. So like you're early. like I I'm going so slow exiting this corner. It's terrible. <laughs> and you get to think about it all the way down the straightaway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah that
0: <laughs> well there you go. Uh dry track Wet track adaptability, life,
1: life. Should mm-hmm. you should you save for your four hundred one k or should you buy a race car?
0: Yeah, it's uh, adult choices. <laughs> yeah, we are at track walking on Facebook and Instagram. Track walking chats on Facebook is the group, um, and yeah, I guess that's really all I have. We'll be back next week with something cool, I'm sure. How I got ideas things. I got ideas so for this week for the two of us I'm Scott and I'm Seth we are track walking take care
1: talk to you next week